Do you have more than one location? Or do you have many retailers selling your products in multiple locations? If you do, the best way to help customers find them is with the Bold Store Locator app. I have used it in several stores, and it always works. It's the original store locator app for Shopify. And whether you have 10 or 10,000 locations, this app can handle it, and it looks great in any store. Your customers can let the app detect their location, or simply enter their zip code, select a radius, and see the locations near them. They can even click and get turn-by-turn -turn directions. Plus, it offers filtering to make sorting through 10,000 locations even easier. And if you want to customize it, you can create custom pins, set priorities for ones to show at the top, maybe they're a preferred dealer, add custom text, hours, descriptions for each location, even custom fields. And of course, you could bulk import all of your locations with a CSV and export too if you need it. But probably my favorite feature is what they call heat map reporting. In the back end, you could see a heat map report of where everyone is searching for you. This is a great way to get insight into where people are looking for your products and where they want you to be. So if you have multiple locations, check out Bold Store Locator. As an unofficial Shopify podcast listener, Bold is offering you their Store Locator app free for two months. To get this special offer, go to kurtelster.com bold and you'll be able to install it from there. kurtelster.com bold. Additional support for the unofficial Shopify podcast comes from SEO Manager. You already know the benefits of SEO. The higher you rank in search, the more visitors you get, and more visitors means more sales, which means more money in your pocket. But how do you do it? That's where SEO Manager comes in. It helps Shopify store owners get found in search engines more easily, and it's trusted by thousands of store owners. No surprise there, it's equal parts power, innovation, and ease of use. Think of SEO Manager as your optimization toolbox. Here's some examples. It can scan your site for issues, offer keyword suggestions, add structured data support, analyze missing pages and redirects, and even integrate with Kit, plus a ton more tools to help you be easily found in Google searches. Best of all, it's easy to get started. You can get started in minutes, and their friendly support team is always on standby if you need help. Seriously, I have met them. They are the best. And as a special offer to you, you can get 10% off SEO Manager forever when you sign up at seomanager.com slash unofficial. That's seomanager.com slash unofficial. Hello and welcome back to the unofficial Shopify podcast. I'm your host, Kurt Elster, recording from EtherCycle HQ in Skokie, Illinois, above Westfield Old Orchard Mall. And today we are talking with one of the most niche store merchants I have ever encountered. And near and dear to my heart, they used uh, our one of our apps, our most successful app, Crowdfunder. And they run a site that is entirely group buys, from what I could tell. And they use Crowdfunder to do the group buys. Crowdfunder, it's like a Kickstarter widget. It looks like Kickstarter on your product page. And the niche is, it, it's super niche. It's manufacturing carbon fiber products for the automotive space. So if you are a car guy or, you, there's like a P, you know, or you've got this like one trim panel in your car that always breaks that you hate, that you're like, is held on with scotch tape. And you said to yourself, man, I wish that was better. I wish this was carbon fiber, which is the coolest thing. We love carbon fiber. Then a site exists where you could literally sub 
I feel like you could submit that idea and then people run a group by. But we're going to get the whole story here because it has interesting origins. And just in the the five minutes of pre-show interview, I was like, oh, this is a good one. I got to know more here. So joining me today is Mr. Gabriel Mountjoy. He is a graduate of Cal Poly Mechanical Engineering in California, has a passion for creating new products and innovating manufacturers, manu- manufacture- innovating the manufacturing process. Me talk pretty. And here we have, uh, they started Common Fibers in 2013 after inventing the Carbon Fiber Live Hinge. For six years, they've developed composite products for automotive, aerospace, medical, and consumer goods. They've got two patents, congratulations, and are building a passionate team to continue to disrupt the composites industry. Mr. Mr. Mountain Joy, my first question is, for people who don't know, what is carbon fiber and why do we get so excited about it? Uh, thanks, Kurt. Thanks for having me on the show first off. And uh, yeah, carbon fiber, for those who do not know what it is, um, you know, kind of is, uh, if you don't know what it is, it's a black plastic that's really expensive is what we <laughs> describe it as. And uh, you know, we sell wallets as one of our products. And if you don't know what carbon fiber it is, you you really think you're just buying an expensive plastic wallet. Uh, so it's really important to educate people as to what it is. And traditionally, carbon fiber has been used in the aerospace industry and then more and more in automotive. And now it's developing into uh, almost every industry you can think of. Uh, but, you know, it is a very uh, tough and durable uh, material. It's built from uh, carbon fiber, which is a strand. It's actually just carbon, the element carbon. Uh, and then it's actually put into a resin matrix. So pretty much you're mixing a very strong strand with a very strong plastic that can take any shape you want. Um so it's, it's a versatile product that you can form into lots of different things, um, and it's kind of becoming the the new titanium that everyone wants uh, wants this in their product. And what's interesting about carbon fiber is the carbon fiber we think of has this very distinct look. When you see it, it looks like uh, plastic that is woven. It has this um, – because it's a fabric, right? And then That's you, correct. You, set like a an epoxy resin over it that's clear so you could see through and see this this woven fabric underneath it and the end result is this incredibly strong versatile fiber that also has a lot of unusual properties and that like depending how you lay it it can either transmit heat or resist heat um and it flex you can make it flex in different ways but most importantly it is way stronger than it has any right to be at its weight. So it's like it would be equivalent to a plastic panel of the same weight. Like if you had two sheet of carbon fiber, sheet of plastic, they'll generally be similar weights, but the carbon fiber will be significantly stronger. That's correct. Much more comparable to metal. Yeah. And I'm basing this on, I'm uh, I'm a SRAM certified bicycle mechanic, sir. Okay. (laughs) Years ago, I worked in a a bike shop as a, a bike mechanic, and that was part of my background in my 20s. And I also, um, I worked before this, uh, I worked as an auto parts drop shipper in the aftermarket auto parts space and going to SEMA this year. So I'll be at, right. be at SEMA where there's just wall to wall carbon fiber as far as you can see. So yes, like, there is. <laughs> if you're in those space, like, um, if you're in those spaces, you're already familiar with it. I'm trying to get, convey the excitement and the joy of carbon fiber, <laughs> Uh, to people like Lance Armstrong's bikes are all going to be carbon fiber and it's one of those things where you can like pick the bike up with one finger because it's all carbon fiber and supercars are many of them are made entire the body panel is all carbon fiber the tub the chassis could be all carbon fiber all right this is that's enough of my my ode my love to carbon fiber sorry 
uh, I appreciate it. Now it's we've the stuff we make. I mean, we're making mascot heads now out of carbon fiber just to make them lighter. Um, like I said, uh, lots of car parts, but medical equipment. Um, I've got harp cases. You, know, you name it. Everyone wants something made out of carbon fiber these days. Yeah, it's really it's. Do you want something to be light and strong? Use carbon fiber. <laughs> I mean, that that's the appeal of it. And then as a bonus, hey, it also has this very this very cool look. Yep, exactly. And of course, <laughs> price price is getting better as well. Uh, you know, it, actually, over the last ten years, I think the uh, price has gone from about a hundred dollars a pound for carbon fiber to ten dollars a pound for carbon fiber. So it has drastically reducing in price as it becomes more popular. Okay, so let's go back to the beginning. You, this is a, a husband-wife team. This carbonfibers.com website. That's correct. And yeah, the, how'd you get before. started? Uh, so we got started. Uh, we met at college, Cal Poly, both doing engineering degrees and uh, both passionate about cars uh, and composites to begin with. And so we were actually building carbon fiber race cars, a uh, little different than your standard race car. Uh, these are little pods that we would race for efficiency. So actually, it was about a two thousand mile per gallon car whoa uh that we were building <laughs> yeah um so it's for the shell eco marathon uh, that they put okay. on each year and so we raced against you know 100 different schools around north america um and cal poly happened to be one of the better teams and that's why i went to that school actually because i was interested in automotive efficiency um initially thinking i liked engines and wanted to make them more efficient but uh as i started working in the industry or in that field, I kind of realized that composites were the way that we were going to increase efficiency faster, uh, just make your car lighter. Um, so uh, we spent four years in college building these cars, and uh, it was actually one day we were making a drive from Seattle, uh, where Ann's from, back down to college, and we're coming up with a list of ideas and came up with a bunch of products that needed a hinge. And so we invented, uh, kind of came up with the idea for a carbon fiber hinge. Uh, did a bunch of research on it. Took us another two years to figure out how to do it, but eventually, by the end of our schooling, we invented a, a live carbon fiber hinge. So pretty much directly built into the carbon fiber itself, we were able to make it soft and foldable like a hinge, and then rigid and strong everywhere else. And uh, filed some patents for that, and did some uh, little competitions in college. Got a little bit of seed money, and we were off to the races. So starting in college, you you had a very successful career here. You guys were building. Uh, we're, we're building literal race cars out of carbon fiber. You got a patent on something that had never been done before that was, um, had tons of applications in this space and then got money for it. The important part, <laughs> what ha what then? <laughs> so, um, you know, one of those little competitions and, you know, six years ago and it still is today, Kickstarter was really taken off. Um, and so we decided let's go ahead and do a crowdfunding campaign and see if we can, you know, make something out of this. And uh, so we came up with just a very tangible use for carbon fiber hinge being that of a carbon fiber wallet. Um, and wallets, once again, were popular in Kickstarter. So we spent eight months building up that campaign, uh, making sure we did it right. And, uh, you know, had a goal for $20,000, uh, but blew past that, ended up raising $160,000 uh, over that month. And uh, really was enough to kickstart the business. You know, we had 3,000 orders for wallets, and uh, needed to get going. Whoa. So the, and I, I just found the project on uh, Kickstarter. The pay, I yeah. love that these pages stay up. So I'll link yep. to that in the show notes. <laughs> Common fibers, a real carbon fiber 
wallet and his RFID blocking, if you're concerned about such things. You had a $20,000 goal. You raised $165,000. You sold over 2,500 of these things. Yep. <laughs> did you really. did you panic where you had that? I suspect this happens is not uncommon with Kickstarter folks where you you're like, uh oh, I think I just became a victim of my own success. <laughs> yeah, there was there were slight moments of panic. Um, truthfully, from the beginning, our goal, you know, we set twenty thousand, but our goal we wanted to hit a hundred thousand, uh, and so we were sort of preparing ourselves for that. Uh, definitely going up above and beyond that was surprising. Um, and then, of course, having to deliver on 3,000 wallets instead of, you know, $20,000 worth of wallets, which would have been just a couple hundred wallets, it changed the scale pretty significantly. Um, it had to really get us into a whole different level of production. So it, it's been six years, but what do you think was the driving force that helped that that Kickstarter campaign succeed? Because it's I've heard people say running a Kickstarter campaign is way more difficult than people realize. It, it, it's all It's a full-time job while it's going on. Yeah. Um, I think what's more important than that is that it's a full-time job for the six months leading up to it, if you want to do it right. Um, and that, you know, there is a ton of work, legwork behind it. You know, of course, getting the video going, getting the infographics, making your proof of concepts. Um, but then there's all the work of reaching out to bloggers and, uh, you know, there's advertising involved and different marketing in order to get the snowball effect started when you launch your campaign. And so if anyone's trying to do a Kickstarter campaign, the thing I can recommend the most is spending a couple months, you know, doing the research, finding every blog that's relevant, reaching out, trying to make connections and setting a schedule of when our Kickstarter goes live on this date, I want, we're hoping you'll be interested in posting about it and, and having all that ready to go before you start. If you were to create a standard operating procedure where you said this is how you run a successful Kickstarter campaign in five to ten steps – so it's, you said it's six months in advance. So it's you, it's get the idea, produce yep. a an amazing video, but start that blogger and PR outreach, build those relationships way early on, which is interesting yep. you say that because I asked uh, Ben Parr, former, currently uh, co-founder of Octane AI, but formerly uh, the uh, editor of uh, Mashable, I believe. Uh-huh. And I, he said, like, people were nuts. He said, uh, like, he'd have people camp outside his house to try and pitch products to him <laughs> wow. or stories. Yeah. And I said, all right, so clearly you've, you've gotten nonstop pitches, good and bad. What's the secret? And he said, build a real relationship. Like, try, uh-huh. before you ever pitch them, um, you know, weeks, months in advance, just try and have a relationship with them. Those are the exactly. stories that get picked up. So you're going to reach out to people in your space early on, try and build those relationships. That, what, what am I missing? Yeah, you build those relationships, uh, you build hype around it. So if you are able to release teasers, um, you know, having social media network, um, actually your own just personal network is extremely important in Kickstarter. Um, that was one of the things we did was, you know, there was four of us who were working on this Kickstarter campaign and we went all through our own personal contacts, sorted them all, uh, you know, friends, family, uh, influencers, people who also have networks, um, organizing those and creating the content for everyone, all your friends and family to share uh, as well. Uh, Cause you'll be surprised at the contacts you already have and their interest to share with what you're doing as well. It might actually be easier than reaching out to an unknown blogger. And I call these unfair advantages. So you have an existing network and you'd be surprised at the connections that people have. What yep. were some of the, uh, give me an example. What was one that surprised you? Um, you know, if certain friends that, uh, 
you know, after high school hadn't made much contact with them and uh, you reach back out to them and it turns out, you know, they're running a business or they're somewhat of an influencer on Instagram. Um, and these people who have good followings um, or run a, a podcast or a blog, uh, once again, you didn't realize they did um, until you reach back out and, and find out they maybe have 20,000 people who listen to what they have to say. That's a good point because I, you're right, like on my personal Facebook I'm not like, hey, here's the new podcast. Like, I, it's so niche that I don't want to just spam my family and friends with the latest e-commerce story. So uh-huh. I'm sure there are people I'm you know, friends with from like college still on Facebook that have no idea, right? Yep. So, yeah, I, okay. So I can absolutely see how that would happen. I've heard that the video is like the critical make-or-break component. That's the cornerstone <laughs> of a Kickstarter campaign. What do you think makes a good or good versus bad uh, crowdfunding video? I would completely agree with that. Um, so that was another sort of connection, actually, in terms of for ourselves was reaching out once again to someone in high school I knew who liked doing video production work. Uh, turned out he was now working for a video production company and uh, he pitched us to his boss. The boss liked it. And uh, we came up with a, an agreement in terms of, hey, you'll produce a top quality video for us and in exchange we'll provide a percentage actually of earnings wow um, in exchange so we ended up with you know a you know very high quality uh production company they do actually most of the filming i think for um like the afc fights um and uh so coming up with a deal like that finding a an interested um video production company that's willing to take a gamble um, cause they can pay off well, you know, if you can, uh, can succeed. And of course, if you have a good product and they believe in you, uh, they may take that risk. Um, but it is absolutely critical to have a good video. Um, and the production quality shows, um, a whole lot of it comes down to audio actually is super important. I think that's yes. lacking in a lot of videos, right? Um, and of course that was something, you know, if we'd filmed this video ourselves, we wouldn't have had the audio equipment that we had access to, uh, when they filmed for us. Um, so I think that's critical. Um, and then of course, just the, the pace of the video, uh, and the length of it that, you know, we have a pretty short attention span, uh, these days. And so making sure you grab people in those first 30 seconds, um, there's not too much, uh, just sort of talking to the camera, um, but more showing people what you're doing, uh, gets people more excited. I would agree with all of that. Uh, and to figure that out, I had to read, this year the book how to shoot video that doesn't suck you know i really (laughs) i'm getting more and more involved in in video production for this business for my wife's business um advising clients on it and this book how to shoot video that doesn't suck said every single thing you just did and more so it was a great primer on like all right well here's the here's why your video blows and here's why other videos don't and yeah it's like you know you want these four second cuts and there's a whole chapter in there about how hey Bad audio will destroy your video. Good audio will make it. Um, yep. So I'll link to that in the show notes for folks. Because at this yeah. point, your iPhone, smartphone, and you know, I say iPhone, but any smartphone has an incredible camera, and you can edit it right on the phone. Like the yeah. the tools have democratized. It really is about editing it. I have people they are like, hey, Kurt, what, how, what are you shooting with? How do you edit? Oh, your stories look so great. And I'm like, well, my iPhone and this app called Video Shop, this is like $4 app because yeah. the tools are not what make or break it. It's what you do with it. Absolutely. Uh, so from so you had this, this successful Kickstarter campaign. 
you got a website going with the same brand, commonfibers.com, and that is where you then began selling these wallets. Did the at what point did you start the website? Um, so we started the website. Actually, we had it going before Kickstarter even started. And, you know, another one of those things to prepare for is the second Kickstarter ends, making sure you got somewhere to send people to. So we started, uh, you know, a very basic, I think it was a, a WordPress site I built uh, to start um, and then quickly transitioned uh, away from from that after we got going and realized we needed to be selling product on there more than just showing what we're doing uh, and got into Shopify. But uh yeah, started that pretty early and uh, just needed a place to push people after the Kickstarter campaign was done. So you started started the website then, and for people who aren't familiar, when you're selling on Kickstarter, you are not allowed to sell anywhere else. So you, yeah. the common thing we'll do is like in preparation, we'll set up a Shopify store. It'll largely mirror the content from the Kickstarter site, but instead of in you know, either you don't list the product or we'll change the add to cart button to one that says back us on Kickstarter and then links yeah. to Kickstarter. And then as soon as that Kickstarter campaign ends, then you make the product available at the full price or a pre-order price on your Shopify store, right? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So we started taking pre-orders, you know, the second the Kickstarter ended, uh, which is super common because someone's going to miss it and be a day late to the party and want to continue to back that project because it still has that media hype going for it. And what... Once the campaign ends and you've got your Shopify store up and you're accepting orders there, like, yeah, there's the scramble to fulfill these orders, um, which I'm sure causes some heartburn and sleepless nights. Other than that, how did you keep the success going? How do you transition from successful Kickstarter to continued success on Shopify? Sure. Um, yeah, it's, you know. Kickstarter itself has great SEO and, you know, everyone's going to Kickstarter, uh, but, you know, your new website you've started now has 10 daily visitors um, and it doesn't get that much press. So uh, first is the transition from pushing people from Kickstarter to your site, um, which Kickstarter now makes, you know, with their landing page after you finish uh, your Kickstarter, they make a good transition of pushing people that direction. Um, but then for us, uh, a big part of it uh, was building our social social media network. Um, and so through Kickstarter and, you know, past Kickstarter, uh, we did a lot of work with influencers, um, you know, primarily in the automotive space. Uh, that's how we grew, you know, our Instagram to 20 plus thousand followers was, uh, finding automotive influencers who are interested in a carbon fiber wallet, um, and do either trading for, uh, posts, uh, for the most part, getting them a wallet and making them, you know, uh, an ambassador for our brand uh, was really the best way that we found to push continued traffic and keep people knowing about our products. The way I envision that process looking, because this sounds like a really a, a great way to do it, um, especially in this space, in the, the automotive space. So you knew, like when I was trying to explain the joy of carbon fiber, I'm talking about how like you have, if you're in the automotive space, if you're a car guy, if you're into aftermarket parts, like you're into... Um, you're you're absolutely into carbon fiber as this like space age cool material. So it almost becomes like a lifestyle good in that probably in like the auto parts space, um, motorcycle parts, and I would probably like airplane people as well uh, who are fanatical. Yep. And I'm guessing uh, like you could start expanding this to other niches. So like uh, probably watch guys are going to be into it as well as an accessory. And yep. finally, um, uh, people into cycling. I would guess sure. as well. 
Yeah, and another one is tactical. You'd be surprised. Oh, the tactical yeah. gear guys. The tactical guys. The worst. I fall into like eighty percent of these categories too. <laughs> <laughs> At the risk of being a bro, that's that happens. Yep, yeah, I'll do um, it. <laughs> okay, so you 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 don't have you've got some audience, but not a ton of audience, and like wallet is is too broad a category that's just like men's lifestyle men's apparel and accessories so you yep. look at these niches where it's it's less common and you're pitching it as a lifestyle accessory to those niches you find influencers in that space uh what kind of followings were you looking for when you reached out to these influencers um i mean we would go out to the the large end right the cars without limits that have two million followers or you know multiple millions of followers um and you'd reach out to the people with 100,000 followers um, or just the – and those are more the accounts that are just posting car pictures every day. Uh, and then there's more the influencers who might be uh, you know, uh, a race car driver himself uh, who has you know, 20,000 followers, but they're 20,000 followers very dedicated to what he's doing. Um, and so kind of any range there, but uh, – you know, the big ones were great for a big blast. Uh, you know, when you're reaching out to 20 or 2 million uh, followers, you're getting, you know, 20,000 people all of a sudden headed and checking out your Instagram and go into your web page. So, uh, you know, we were able to watch traffic on a post like that it was significant. Um, and it really built our following. And they really uh, did doing... this for just a free wallet? Or did you do like a um, an affiliate program? Like you could give them a coupon code and an app like Refersion will then credit them um, automatically for each sale? Um, so, you know, we now do reversion ourselves, but back when we first started this, uh, for the most part, we were, uh, trading a wallet. Um, occasionally, uh, you know, we'd come up like, Hey, you know, for $20 a post, you know, we'll get you a wallet and then $20 a post and we'll pay you a hundred dollars and we'll get five posts. Um, and kind of just coming up with these, uh, you know, trades that were fair to them. Um, I know the market's become a lot more saturated since we started doing that. Um, that now there's a whole lot more advertising going on on Instagram. Uh, so it's harder and, you know, instead of the $20, now the person says it's a hundred dollars, um, per post and it only stays up for two hours. So, Whoa. Um, <laughs> yeah, ne negotiations have changed. So they delete significantly. It? Yeah. They'll put it up for just a set number of time. You can pay for six hours or 24 hours or permanent posting, um, but, you know, the reality is most of your the follow and everything, you know, all the likes and comments, everything happened within the first couple hours. Uh, so sometimes it's not worth keeping it around. Hold up. It's safe to say that most of us have been doing more shopping online lately. I know I have. There's just a pile of packages in front of my door. I can't even get the front door open. But if you're an e-commerce brand, that means you might be seeing more first-time customers. But once they've made that first purchase, how do you keep them coming back? That's what Klaviyo is for. Klaviyo is the ultimate email and SMS marketing platform for e-commerce brands. It gives you the tools to build your list, send memorable emails, automate critical messages, and more. Way, way more. That's why more than 30,000 e-commerce brands like Chubby's, Brooklinen, and Keysmart use Klaviyo to build a loyal following. Strong customer relationships mean more repeat sales, enthusiastic word of mouth, and less depending on third-party ads. Now, whether you're launching a new business or taking your brand to the next level, Klaviyo can help you get growing faster. And it's free to get started. Visit Klaviyo.com to create your free account. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O.com. Talk to him. Uh, give me a, a ballpark budget range here for someone who's entirely new to this. What am I, if I'm approaching, if I start approaching these influencers, 
just ballpark what would I expect to pay? Sure. Um, you know, I would I think you could still get some great posts around the fifty dollar per post range. Um, if someone's trying to say a hundred dollars plus, I, I wouldn't go there. Um, but if you're able to trade product and get posts for around fifty dollars uh, on one of those, you know, a million follower uh, profiles, uh, it'll pay off, and it pays off pretty well. Uh, you know, it depends, of course, on the product and what you're trying to advertise. But I think that's the the twenty to fifty dollar range is ideal. And when you reach out to them, do you use uh, a marketplace, a press person, or just DM them? Uh, yeah, mostly just DM them. Uh, some some of these larger larger accounts have you know an email address to reach out to them if you're interested in media inquiries. Um, but for the most part, just DMs. Hmm. Okay. And this is something you still use today. Yeah, it's something we did a lot of tapered off, and we're actually picking back up now as we're growing sort of our other brands that we've started. Uh, after common fibers okay and that you know i did the whole intro about uh your carbon fiber group by site and then got derailed by 20 minutes of <laughs> uh, holy crap these carbon fiber wallets are awesome which i've i've linked to it in the show notes it's commonfibers.com. they're really beautiful wallets if you're looking for um a nice wallet as a gift and do you have a I noticed you mentioned uh, in the notes you've got a coupon code for this. Let's let's plug that now before we move on to the group by site. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, the code is EtherCycle. That's the name of my agency, and the uh, the discount is thirty percent. Yep, that is correct. Yeah, EtherCycle. Very. I I appreciate it. And thirty percent is quite the discount. I believe I will be using it. And I'll tell you right now, this is a a tip I that we developed uh, when working with uh, Jake Starr from Recycled Firefighter, who is known, best known for selling um, wallets made out of recycled fire hose. I'm not the only person who has this question about, well, which is, what's the difference? Which one's right for me? And so what we do in Clavio um, for him, and I recommend anyone who has multiple similar products, is write a buyer's guide. And that buyer's guide, like he already had it. It was just a blog post they had. So I repurposed it, and I set up a browse abandonment flow, but it was filtered if you, you had to view uh, a, this wallet's collection. And Clavio has that as like a single filter. It'll be like, all right, if they view any product in X collection, it makes it real easy. If you, nice. So you view any product in that collection, a couple hours later, boom, and you don't make a purchase, a couple hours later, you get an email entitled, which wallet's right for me? And then in it, it's just that blog post that's describing the wallets, and we add links to it. That when we ran it, like immediate within two hours of the the first emails starting to go out, it made um, four sales. So it's like, oh my gosh, it absolutely works. <laughs> so that's yeah. like there is your easy easy win uh, <laughs> for doing this this interview with me. That's that's great. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's kind of educating the buyer uh, is very important. And you've expanded beyond wallets now. You got a lot of stuff. How do you decide? Um, you know, as your you're adding inventory. How do you decide what products you're going to produce? Um, yeah, there's a mix of ways. I mean, we listen to what our customers want and what they're you know reaching out requesting. Um, you know, within our business, um, we kind of have a policy of if an employee has an idea, you know, suggest it, and uh, if it's something that we can make and sell, then we'll kick them back a percent of profits. Um, and so, and we go to a lot of shows, a lot of car shows, and so we're we're talking to the customer and figuring out. What do people want? And, and then, of course, we're also pushing ourselves into what can we make? What else can we do with a carbon fiber hinge or what other 
thing can we make out of carbon fiber that's kind of wacky and different uh, or might be a different application for it. So it's like a lot of it, because you are the manufacturer, you could make this stuff yourself. It's partly you know, what consumers suggest, but it's also a little bit of, of play. It's, hey, can we do this? And if we can't, let's try it and see what happens. Yep, exactly. Yeah, that is definitely a benefit of ourselves being the actual manufacturer, which is definitely rare these days. Um, and that, yeah, I mean, our facility, we can we can prototype and make just about anything. And so if we have an idea for it, I've got a sewing machine, I can sew the wallet, I can make the carbon part, and we can assemble it all together and try it out. That's very cool. Okay, so I've, I've spent so much time talking about these wallets and your story because it was all valuable. Um, you... In addition to this, you have another site as well called CF Group Buy, carbonfibergroupbuy.com. Tell me about that. What is that? Yeah. So to make sense, you know, to make that transition from wallets to, you know, how do we now build in cars? Um, from the beginning, that was our goal, right? We were building cars uh, through college. We we're, you know, carbon fiber car nerds. And uh, so we never wanted to start a fashion company by any means. Um so uh, the wallets were great, uh, funded what we have going today, and um, we started you know, advertising and sort of just by word of mouth taking on more and more projects uh, relating to carbon fiber. Um, so one of the first things we actually did uh, was build a help build a chassis for an autonomous vehicle um, startup company. Cool. Um, and then just kind of the projects just kept rolling in. Um, like I mentioned, we've built a mascot head for Oklahoma State University. Um, if you watch any of their football games, Pistol Pete's wearing his head is made of carbon fiber. Hmm. Um, and so all these projects started rolling in. Um, and so I'd say kind of for the first three years of our business, we sold wallets. Um, and over the last three years, we've now developed into becoming much more of a manufacturer uh, of automotive, aerospace, medical devices, other assorted equipment. Um, and so <clears throat> over the last year now, uh, as we've been doing more car parts and we're you know, building that Instagram community, so many people are reaching out to us constantly saying like, Hey, I really want this car part uh, for my car made out of carbon fiber. And, you know, it's a, it's an older car. It doesn't have a bunch of aftermarket parts for it. Definitely no carbon fiber. And so we talked to the person and quote them out, but carbon fiber the expensive part of it is making the mold or the form to actually make it. And so, you know, on a, like a, a front lip for a car, uh, you're going to spend $2,000 just to make the mold and then maybe $500 to make the part. So you got an individual who's looking at $2,500, uh, just to make one you know front lip car part that for the most part you can buy online for $500 or so. Um, and so it's really hard for an individual to take that bite, uh, and spend all that money. So, uh, what we've started doing was we talk to customers and, you know, okay, maybe they'll, maybe they have the cash to fund that, but they want to make that money back. So then they start kind of organizing a group buy of the part. They reach out to forums and find people, uh, that have that same car and want that same part. And then they put together a group buy, uh, but it's kind of sloppy and, you know, they're exchanging money via PayPal and, um, you know, then they're waiting on us. And it's kind of like a telephone game. So, what we found was we could organize this all in one place. And so instead of that person having to, you know, pay that $2,500 up front, um, we could put together a group buy and sort of crowdfund it, uh, that a lot of the people we talk to, they are active in their car clubs, uh, and know the forms supposed to. So for them, it's not too difficult to get five to 10 people interested in the same part. I love this. 
because you're you're tapping into a part of um, an existing community, and in this case, like automotive culture, the internet grew up with car forums. And yeah, <laughs> twelve years ago, when I was in auto parts, working for an auto parts dropshipping company, that was a huge part of our marketing was sponsoring these car forums and then being active in them and then yep. listening to what people wanted, and then we'd sell those as kits and we'd do group buys. We'd be like, hey, we can. And literally, like, we'd work out a deal with the distributor, the manufacturer, would be like, hey, what's a minimum to get this this price break? And then we'd pass that on to the customer. So that's, that is, like, part and parcel to internet car culture, these group buys. And exactly. <laughs> it also works for, you know, hey, we've got this, someone on the forum will be like, listen, I had this painter problem in my car. It's that typical entrepreneur story. And yep. so I develop, I'm an engineer and in my part time, I developed this product and Hey, we can get it manufactured if I can get 20 people to commit for X dollars. And it's like a passion thing. And this is even, um, and it lets like really niche cars where you, it really wouldn't make sense normally for people to jump into it for a manufacturer to jump into it. Cause then there's not a big enough market for them, um, to be able to develop these things. Like they only make a few thousand manual Jaguar F types a year. I have uh-huh. one. I love it. But I hated the shifter. There was no short throw. Sure enough, huh. the forum, somebody, other people had the same problem. Somebody found a guy in Europe who manufactured short throw shifters, and they said, hey, would you do it? And he said, yeah, here's the minimum number of pieces I need, and send me the shifter, and, and we'll do it. I've got, a short, I've got one of a handful of these short throw shifters on my car. I love it. You knew that this was part of that car culture and leveraged that idea. And going when I asked you, hey, how do you figure out what what – uh, lifestyle products to make you said, well, we listen to our customers here. You did it again where you, people were saying, I need X product. I want X product. You know, I want a carbon fiber lip for my 25 year old Acura NSX. Well, all right. But somebody has got to foot the bill and you figured out a way based on your past experience to do it. So the, the benefits there to that group by process is you can make these super niche products and it's accessible to everybody because they're essentially you're dividing out that initial expense of replicating the product of carbon fiber, right? Yep, that's exactly it. And and that it goes actually back to the original name of our business, Common Fibers. Our goal from the beginning has been to make carbon fiber more common. Um, and so part of this group buy process still continues to push our mission um, that it can be accessible to anyone. Um, that there are a couple of hurdles to get over in terms of cost, but if you split it up by five, ten people, it's actually not too bad. So with with cfgroupbuy.com, how long have you been doing this? So CF Group Buy uh, has only been up now for, it's about four months, I believe. Um, and we've kind of been pushing it out in sort of beta testing. Uh, once again, testing out a couple of them, making sure that everything runs smoothly. And uh, once again, listening to our customers um, and having them suggest products to begin with. Um, and we're just about to actually start a push to uh, get this out onto you know all the forums and uh, start pushing them on Instagram to the influencers that we talked about all, earlier. So uh, we're just getting ready to actually really push this live. And so this was based on um, just people reaching out and going, hey, I see you make carbon fiber. Can you make X part? And you were able to turn around and say, yes, but. Yes, but we'll help either you got to foot the bill up front or, hey, we'll help you run your run a group buy campaign for this. Yep. And I mean, we get those inquiries almost every day. Uh, and so it was, you know, taking up a lot of our time trying to to manage them uh, and educate the customer. So it's like, how can we do this in a more streamlined fashion? And walk me through the process. Of the group by itself? Yeah. Yeah. So um, the way it works, uh, ideally, if you're, you know, 
an individual who wants a part, let's say it's a spoiler for your car and it's not made, um, you can reach out on the site um, and there is a suggest uh, button. So you go in through there and you suggest the product and you say, you know, I want this for this car. And we're going to take that contact form, pretty much comes in as a request, and we're going to look at it. And first thing we're going to say is, is this even manufacturable? Um, and make sure it's something we can make. Uh, if it is, and uh, we think it's a product that, you know, once again, uh, truthfully, we'll, we'll post anything that we think that is manufacturable and let the let the community decide if it's going to be worth making. But the way we do it is we post it with no price initially um, and gauge interest. And if we get five people who chime in saying they are interested in that part and they'd like to see a price, we then spend the time to quote out what it actually will take to make that part. Um, and so, you know, on a spoiler, you know, is it a two part mold? How, you know, how complex is it? What's it actually going to take? And we'll quote it out and say, at that point we decide, okay, is this going to be a batch of 10 parts? Uh, is it a batch of 20 parts? How many do we need to make to make this make sense and split up that tooling cost by enough people such that the price of the part is reasonable, All right? You don't want to, you know, still spend $2,000 on a spoiler if we have to still make 10 of them because it's such an expensive part to make. So. We want to split it up over enough people. Uh, so we do the math after we get five people interested and go ahead and repost it now as a live campaign um, and uh, proceed until we reach the goal number. And once we hit that goal, uh, we go ahead and say it is live. And, um, you know, as people are um, you know, there, people are actually putting in deposits uh, for the parts. Uh, so we're getting about 50% payment up front, um, holding that. Um, and then when we hit the number, we go live. Of course, uh, if the product does not make it uh, to its goal, um, you know we would refund the money. Um, although we also look at them case by case. You know, if we reach seven out of ten, we'll still look at it and say, you know what, you know, seven is still worth it. We'll go ahead and make this part for these seven people because they're they're dedicated and interested, and and for the most part, it's worth it for us to make it. So looking at the site. First one I, I click on is a Acura NSX Gen 1 front lip. So nice little carbon fiber piece that just goes across the front of my very expensive Japanese supercar. And I have a local client who has one of these. I got to road in it. And after that, nice. I was like, I need I need to buy a mid-engine car at some point in my life. It's so cool. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Once you try it, you're like, oh, this is what the fuss is about. Exactly. Um, okay. So this is a very unusual car just in, in general because of the age, the expense. I mean, this thing used, I think the guy paid like 70 grand for it. Um, and so not a ton of aftermarket for it. So hyper niche. And someone says, look, I want to make a carbon fiber front lip for it. And you say, listen, we could do it. We just need 10 of them to be made right now. I'm looking at as the time of the recording, there's six people have committed. So this is not crazy as niche as this is. You only need 10 people to make a purchase to make this happen. Um, so someone in like the community forum reached out to you. You said, yeah, we could do it. And then is it up to – do you do any promotion? Is it up to them to promote it? It's primarily up to them. Uh, you know, They are the expert in that community. Um, but then you know, we're working on building out you know, our own social following for this business unit um, and building our own connections to forums and influencers so that we can push it out. But you know. Who knows of our followers how many of them own an NSX? It's probably not a ton. Um, so uh, our marketing efforts are definitely less than than theirs. Uh, for the most part, it relies on them to uh, push it out through their network. And so, uh, the full price is five hundred plus shipping. 
So I make a 50% deposit. So when I make the purchase right now today, I pay 250 bucks. You then sit on that money and let's say you get, you know, you need 10. Let's say you get to nine. You go, all right, fine. We'll still do it. Um, let's say it stops at five or it stops at six and one person wants their money back. Then every, you just refund their, their payments. Yep. Yeah. You refund the, the deposits. Um, okay. We kind of, we kind of set a time limit on each of them, you know, it's not necessarily something that we have as a hard, like hard deadline on it, but um, for us, it's you know if this doesn't gain to you know another another committed person in another month, then we're going to cut it off. You know, this is an example of one that I know is doing well. I think we got four of those orders within this last week, um, and we just were at the the NS Expo last week or two weeks ago. <laughs> it's called the NS so, Expo. Yep, That's exactly. Great. And so uh, we talked with a lot of people with this car, and so we know. We know there's a handful more coming on this one. Um, so in that case, we did a bit of networking <laughs> and to get this one going as well. And let's say it does get funded. So you know this one's going to sell. How do you collect the remaining payment? Um, so we're actually using uh, just directly through Shopify um, where we're able to send them an invoice for the remainder. Uh, plus we'll calculate the shipping cost at that time as well. Um, and so... Uh, it's pretty streamlined of just kind of duplicating the order um, and invoicing for the correct uh, the remainder and uh, sending the invoice for them to pay. Okay. And part of my the reason for my questions around the, the payment process with deposit, what happens if they don't pay, and then how do you do the remainder? This is for people using – because this whole thing is powered on my app, Crowdfunder, right? Yep. Exactly. Okay. And the, the reason I ask is because that's one of the – the more common questions we get from people who have not yet run a, a campaign is, well, what happens if it doesn't get funded all the way? Well, you could choose to make it or not, or you could just – you could give them yep. the money back. Um, well, well, how do we do deposits? Well, you accept the money and sit on it. Like it really – people struggle to wrap <laughs> their heads around this stuff um, yep. just because it it's unusual in the e-commerce space. Yeah. It, it adds a layer of complexity, but um... – I think it works pretty smooth. Yeah. And I think the other issue is like in the case of Kickstarter, Kickstarter is the one who sits on the money. You don't see yep. it unless it gets funded. So they're coming. If you're coming from that model, you're like, wait, I'm getting the money, but I, it hasn't finished yet. <laughs> yes. <laughs> don't blow it, please. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Put that in a savings account. Forget about it until the campaign's over. Exactly. Um, well, it's cool about that. Like we use the example of the NSX. When that campaign is over, would you then like, make that a, a product that you could that's just available on a website or would it be something where you'd say all right well we could do it again but and we've got the molds but you know this time it's just a group order five and you rerun the group order once a year what what is the future plans here yeah our intention is to re-put up um you know a finished group by you know like i said we have the molds now um you know we're going to keep the pricing the same um but we're going to go ahead and put it back up and uh, yeah, maybe it'll be a smaller, but we'll do it another next time we reach five units. Uh, we'll go ahead and make another batch. Um, we do have some customers uh, who are, you know, helping fund one of these group buys. So, you know, they're going to they say, I want to put in a thousand dollars towards that mold uh, such that I can make sure this happens. Um, but then they say, but I want this to be a limited batch of 10. I only want 10 of these ever to be made. And I want, you know, I want serial number one and wants it to be super limited um, and people love that in the car community and so there are projects where we've agreed to you know a customer who's helped fund it uh, that we won't put it back up again 
like the so the examples we used were were very niche, but potentially you could have someone with a a newer car, say a Kia Stinger, right? And they go, "Hey, no one's man, it's a brand new car. No one's manufacturing carbon fiber hoods yet. I want a carbon fiber hood." So you sell these things, it's a thousand bucks, but that could be a huge market a year from now. So in that instance, would there be potential? Would you? take the same approach where it's like limited, we just keep rerunning it, or would you say, hey, maybe we should just start selling some of this in a, a store? Yeah, it's definitely something we've considered of, you know, do we transition a finished product in here potentially to a store or add a new category um, that's continually ongoing parts? Uh, for us, you know, the efficiency in manufacturing, it really does make sense to make carbon fiber parts in batches of 10 um, below that, uh, you know, it just becomes more expensive. So, uh, if we were to look at it and see the demand and say, okay, I know in the next six months, I'm going to sell, you know, 20 of these hoods or 20 of these engine covers, um, without needing to have people prepay for it, then sure. I'd go ahead and just make those 20 and start selling them. Um, and I imagine our business model will transition that way. Um, as more of these, you know, become successfully funded, um, then we want to hold inventory, but right now this, it's means for a really lean, uh, manufacturing approach, um, that we're not sitting on inventory and there's not a lot of cash out of, out of our pockets, uh, to get going. It's such a great way to approach this because you, you, you are, so you are the factory and you're giving people access to essentially co-produce product development with you where they're going to like marketed value, show up with the idea. You're going to say, Hey, listen, we'll, We'll do the manufacturing design and development, which is very – it's technical and difficult and expensive, and you're the what – you're going to market this thing and make it happen. And by the way, you it just, it's got to be you and nine friends, so it makes it very uh, accessible. Yeah. I that's, think that's what we're going for. <laughs> the, the potential here, as soon as you get you know, a few um, bigger group buys going – going like more um visible ones higher more visibility on it the first time you get like a subaru or one you know one of those yeah uh, or a mustang you know those cars that are very common to see modified i think this uh this thing could really take off yeah that's what we're hoping for like i said we we heard the need from our customers and saw that people were organizing these group buys on instagram and facebook and emails and they were just sloppy uh so hoping this will be a nice place to keep everything organized and people can trust that, you know, when you put your money into something, you're going to get out a good high quality product. Oh, absolutely. If you had to go back in time, you've been doing this since 2013, you got to go, go back and tell yourself six years ago, here is, here's the one thing you need to do differently in the future. You've got the time portal window only opens for 30 seconds. What do you tell yourself? Uh, what to do differently? Um, I mean, I think the hardest part in business uh, are are the people, uh, you know, employees and the relationships you create. Um, and so I think um, a good piece of advice for myself from the future uh, as to, well, to anyone else um, is just being very careful uh, with uh, everyone you work with and making sure that those are the right people uh, that you want to be working with and sort of vetting and testing uh, whether it comes to an employee or business partner or a, a relationship with a vendor, uh, that the relationships you form in business are the most important thing. Um, and so really making sure um, that you, you're you on top of them from the beginning, um, that, that was, that's what's going to make or break your business or your relationships. 
Absolutely. I could not, I knew the, my network, the people I surround myself with were important, but I, it took me 10 years to figure out how absolutely vital and important it really is. Do you have a, a litmus test you use to say like this relationship, thumbs up, thumbs down? It's, I'd say it's still a bit more of the gut feel, um, approach um and making sure that you sort of align in terms of you know morals and business ethics um that you know if, if you're not you know telling the, the person's not too too greedy and just actually interested in and in, uh and being mutually beneficial for both parties and i think it's the biggest part um that i always keep an eye out for yeah absolutely you want everyone um to get equal and fair compensation in an ideal world and you want to have that the same shared passion and goals and you as the business owner should be seeking to be um you know, moral and ethical and legal in everything you yep. do and so you want people that are that are on the same page and i don't think that's a ridiculous thing to want um, no. and then finally you know ultimately i only want i want to work with nice people i want to work with people whom i like and whom who like me and so, like, if you, you can check all those boxes, I think things things work out pretty nicely. Absolutely. As, you know, just in hiring for employees side of things, it's, you know, yeah, it's great if someone's technically skilled uh, with whatever it is you're looking for. But uh, what's more important is that they're a nice person, <laughs> realistically, that a lot of things can be trained. But uh, making sure you're a good person from the beginning is probably the most important. It goes a long way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so tell me, finally... Where could people go to learn more about you? Um, you've already dropped us a couple times, but commonfibers.com, uh, of course, is going to get you to our original site um, where you're going to see all of our products, and that is going to get you uh, links to our other websites, including CF Group Buy. Um, we have a DIY blog um, called carbonfiber.life um, where you can sort of read up on projects, and we can hopefully teach you how to make your own carbon fiber products. Um and then you can also take a look at our past projects, um, you know, including like the mascot heads and uh, different cars we've built for SEMA um, through Composite Fundamentals, which is another one of our websites. But it all kind of branches out from commonfibers.com. Very good. Thank you, uh, Gabriel. This has been uh, insightful, exciting, novel. I enjoyed it. Thanks for sharing your story. Thank you, Kurt. I really had a great time talking with you as well. One last thing. If you're new to e-commerce, you're probably thinking what we all were in the early days. Where the heck do I start? Product photography? Discount codes? A logo? Thankfully, there's a simple answer. Start with your theme. Your Shopify theme is your online storefront. Picking the right theme influences the way your store looks, how it works, how easy it is for visitors to see your brand's value. And that's what makes or breaks your conversion rate. With nearly a decade of experience building beautiful, performant themes, my friends at Out of the Sandbox are experts in knowing what it takes to make your store a success. From the unmatched speed of Turbo to the endless customization possibilities of Flex, their themes are designed to look great and, more importantly, help you sell more. Whether you want to upgrade your existing theme or launch a brand new online store, Out of the Sandbox has a theme for you. Visit outofthesandbox.com and use promo code KURTS20 for 20% off their best-selling themes, Flex and Turbo. Go to outofthesandbox.com slash unofficial, promo code KURT20 
for 20% off Flex and Turbo. If you'd like to help us spread the joy of entrepreneurship, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. If you're listening on a smartphone, tap or swipe up over the cover art of this podcast. You'll find some episode notes, including links to sites we discussed, and maybe some details you missed. You'll also find offers from our sponsors, so please support our show by supporting them. And thank you. The unofficial Shopify podcast was recorded and hosted by me, Kurt Elster, produced by my business partner, Paul Rita, for our Shopify partner agency, EtherCycle. Check us out at EtherCycle.com. Thanks for listening. The unofficial Shopify podcast is distributed by EtherCycle LLC. We'll be back next week with more value bombs for Shopify store owners. If you're looking for more high quality and actionable advice on learning the business of e-commerce, join thousands of other Shopify store owners on our totally free newsletter at eCommerce Bootcamp. That's eCommerce-Bootcamp.com.